Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. Uh, they are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Trevor from Halifax calling in to say that I support creative control on Patreon because I think long-form arts journalism is a crucial part of music culture and there's simply not enough of it out there today. Vish is a master interviewer, he lands great guests, and he has his finger on the pulse of the ever-changing music landscape both here in Canada and abroad. For all of these reasons and many more, I think you should support Creative Control on Patreon too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. I'm Visha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. Creative Control with Vish Khan. Kate Beaton is a talented, award-winning cartoonist and writer based in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. Renowned for her hilarious and historical comic strip Hark a Vagrant, her children's books like The Princess and the Pony and the Apple TV series Pinecone and Pony, Beaton is an outspoken humorist who deals with the serious from an absurdist point of view. Her latest book is a memoir and a graphic novel called Ducks, Two Years in the Oil Sands, which captures Beaton's real-life attempt to pay down her student debt between 2005 and 2008 by leaving Nova Scotia for Alberta to work for the oil industry under isolating, grueling, and often traumatizing conditions for her and her fellow workers. Ducks is an astonishing and essential contribution to Canadian comics, and for works of personal history, and it's available everywhere as of September 12th, 2022, via Drawn and Quarterly. Married to author and friend of the show Morgan Murray, Kate and I connected recently for a nice chat about her birthday, her masterpiece Ducks, and what life was like living in different oil sands campsites in Fort McMurray, Alberta, as a young woman, how capitalism compels people to live in different parts of the world, even if they don't exactly really want to, student debt and the cost of living, when boomtown industries go bust, our complicity in propelling bleakness, mental health in the labor force and the Me Too movement, toxicity and community building, her signature pony and forthcoming projects, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creativecontrol, where you can get episodes of the show early and also access some uh, exclusive content. With additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and friendly staff who will happily help you source special orders 
for hard-to-find uh, releases, which you can learn more about at blackbird.ca, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 716 of Creative Control, featuring the ingeniously clever and talented Kate Beaton with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Kate. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you. I'm fine, too. Thanks for asking. Oh, uh, yeah. What's going on? <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm not bad. Thank you for asking. I know I, I was being sincere. It's nice to speak with you uh, and have you on the show. Where in the world are you there, Kate? I'm in my house in uh, in Mabu, Cape Breton. So I'm in the basement while my husband wrangles the children upstairs. Lovely. How are things uh, in that part of the world for you today? Is it a busy day? A very busy day. It's it's my birthday. We went and we gave blood and we took the dog to the vet. It was just jam-packed. Are you telling me that we're talking on your birthday? Yes. Yeah, I am. <laughs> oh, okay. So I have a few things I want to say. First of all, happy birthday. Thanks. <laughs> and secondly, I'm sorry I called you on your manners a few moments ago on your birthday. <laughs> that was rude of me on so many levels. I was already rude, and then it now it feels even ruder. Uh, You're thirdly, totally. You're okay. I interrupt thirdly, all the time, as you can see. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know it's a it's a it's a it's a trait of your people out there in Cape Breton. I think maybe I don't know. My <laughs> the third thing I was going to say: Why on earth are you doing interviews? with the likes of me on your goddamn birthday. You should be doing other things, don't you think? Uh, well, we are going to uh, enjoy a cake that my daughter picked out later, and it is pink and it has a cat on it, so I'm all set. Okay, well, that's good. I really can't thank you enough for making time for me on your birthday. Is it a significant birthday, milestone birthday, or is it just one of the normal ones? No, just a regular uh, 39. So. Oh, well, that, okay. that In, in a in sense... Yeah, that is a milestone. That's the last one of those. Yeah, depending on how much weight you give to uh, to that kind of departure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's lovely to get to chat with you, uh, as I've expressed to you uh, and to your husband, uh, previous guest on the show, Morgan there, a uh, big fan of yours, uh, particularly in this house. Uh, various generations have encountered your work and uh, your, your books and stuff. Uh, congratulations on this latest one. Uh, ducks, uh, I would uh, like to ask you, uh, for the benefit of myself and the listeners, in your own words, can you summarize uh, what Ducks is all about? Well, uh, it is about the two years that I spent working in the oil sands of Fort McMurray between 2005 and 2008, uh, but it's about uh, a lot more than that. It's not just a recounting of events, but it's about everything that I have sort of carried with me since on my mind about things that I saw and the people that I met. Yeah, let me say this: it's a very uh, uh, beautifully looking. It's, so it's and it's a graphic. Is it is it considered? It's a graphic novel. Am I using these terms right? Sometimes yeah, I feel like I, yeah. I'm using the wrong words. It's a graphic novel, right? Yeah. Okay, so it looks uh, beautiful. It is harrowing and beautiful uh, and uh, infuriating and uh, funny as hell. Uh, it's, it's all the things I like. Well, I could do without the fury. Uh, I could do without the kind of uh, hatred of all men. Uh, but that's <laughs> the reality of the situation. Um, no, it's really uh, – how do you feel about it? Does this feel like uh, a particularly ambitious uh, crowning achievement type thing for you? Um, I don't know. It's been, uh, I've been working on it for so long that it's very hard to gauge uh, uh, any particular thought about it that is, you know, the one, if that makes sense. I'm proud of it. I, I have worked for a long time and I worked hard on it. And I'm glad that it's going out there. And it's definitely, of course, it's different than anything else I've published. Uh, and I, I think it was the right time for me to make a change like that. I also felt very compelled to make it. So uh, it, it was a book that I that was very much in me to make. Yeah. For those who, 
and I, I appreciate all that. For, I'm just holding here, Katie. I don't know if you've seen your own book. I'm just holding a copy up uh-huh. to the camera. Uh, it's some uh, what is it? Four hundred. I'm trying to go to the last page. Four hundred and thirty pages. Uh, this lot. is is that unusual in your realm? That's a long one, isn't it? It's long. It's not unheard of. There, there are a lot of them that go that length, but uh, I didn't want to make it overly long. I think that if it had been any longer than that, people would be throwing it out the window before they finish it. And killing people, I, they would be if they threw this out a window. They, yeah, someone's going to get hurt. Yeah. It's a heavy. I, yeah, I can depending be- on what depending what story for sure. Yes, absolutely. Now, uh, what compelled you to take this on? You said a few different interesting things to me there about uh, why this has come to be in terms of, uh, you know, wanting to tell a story, it, be, it being a departure from other things you've done. Um, do you have a sense of why now? Why is this happening now in your life, do you reckon? Well, it, it's happened over like uh, many years. So I, I started thinking about putting it together in 2014, probably, um, when I put up a, a series of sketches under the same title. And um, people responded well to them. So I thought, you know, maybe I could do something bigger. And I, I think I, I had I had always sort of thought that I would. But it seemed like a very far away project. And, uh, and in 2014, it seemed like something that I could do. But I think I had to accrue the skills as a storyteller and as a comic artist to do justice to what I wanted to say. And I think I also needed the distance from the time that I spent there to think about what I really felt. Huh. So uh, I 2014 is only, what, six years after I left there, maybe? I don't know. You What's said math? you said 2008, <laughs> so yeah, that is correct, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, seems really, okay. it seems really recent, actually, yeah. <laughs> I know it feels recent, <laughs> but now it's 2022, and so I get questions like this, like, what do you, why, why right now? And you're like, well, I started this a long time ago. So it's not really a question of right now. It's just sort of, it, it was a long time coming. Is that a clumsiness of language on my part? I guess what we're asking us, no. us rubes is why is this out now? Not why did you start working on it when you did? Um, but, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you mean because people know me from Harkavagrin and stuff and, and why, why didn't I keep doing that? Is that sort of, no, that, that's not where I'm coming from. I mean, mm. you, okay, here's where I'm coming from. Let me just tell you. <laughs> okay. Having read the book, uh, knowing the multifaceted emotional aspect of the book, uh, mm-hmm. where I'm coming from more is about why, after processing it for it sounds like you did six years, uh, what compels you at that point to be like, I can't just live with this on my own. I need to kind of capture it mm. potentially for therapeutic reasons, but also in your case, uh, artistic reasons, you know, that's where I'm coming right. from. The motivation at that point uh, to do this. Why do you know? Do you right. know why? Uh, no, I think certain things are just on your mind. And when you do what I do for a living, a cartoonist, and you are drawing scenes from your life, it's a sort of a natural thing. But I think I was waiting until I had the skills to do it. But who knows when that is. But there's also, you can't wait too long, because then you don't remember as much. Like yeah. the further you get away from it, the less you recall. So you, you have to wait for that point where those two two threads sort of intersect in like the now or never sort of way. And I think that's where I was at. Given the, as I say, multi-layered uh, emotions you must uh, be, must be, must have, must continuing to be going through uh, having had this experience, had you tried to address that, this experience in other ways? And where I don't want to pry, but I want people to know, I think, that we're getting into the realm of trauma. Uh, what else would there be? I think that's the main word. Uh, just Yeah, I guess that would be the word. Well, I mean, it's certainly an aspect of it, but it's also, you call the thing ducks. And yes. I know why it's called ducks, because I've read the book. Uh, yeah. And it's, yeah. for those who want to put two and two together, it's about someone going to work in the oil sands uh, region of Alberta. And also, I think not only dealing with, I'm sorry, we should say out of necessity, right? Like this is all real life stuff. You had to kind of, at the yeah. time you, you lived there, you had to do it. That's what it felt like, yes. Because of uh, crippling student loan debt. Yes, and because that was the pattern of labor 
in my in my home region that it's what people did. Yeah. It wasn't really a question of like, are there other choices? It was like that was the choice. Yeah. My I am from the Maritime Provinces of Canada, for your listeners, which is a place that has been exporting labor for multiple generations. It's very ingrained. It's understood the way things are that you go to work where the work is. And, and uh, that's, that's good. And, uh, even though they were tossing around terms, uh, when I graduated from university, calling it things like money jail, you have to go to money jail. Uh, <laughs> it really shows sort of how people thought about the necessity of leaving for that place. Has that mindset changed? Uh, whether post pandemic or for other reasons, like we're not talking about ancient history. Uh, I just, I'm curious. N- well, of course people, people move someplace and, uh, we're not, it's not a monolith, right? A lot of people have moved there and made it their home and are very happy there. Especially you saw a lot of, you saw a lot of people from my region, uh, living in Fort McMurray during the fire, the Fort McMurray fire. And so there were different stories, you know, Fort McMurray strong and all this stuff. Like they're, they're building their own communities out there. And, uh, and they did the same thing in Ontario in the seventies and, uh, and wherever else, like, like Cape Bretoners and Maritimers en masse have gone. Not everybody feels the same way, but there is always, uh, this underlying thread of, uh, of homesickness too. And, um, because of, uh, because of how people were compelled to leave. I don't know. Many people totally shake that. Yeah. And I, where I'm trying to, so yeah, you've got, uh, uh, the oppression of debt. You've got people mostly, it seems to me anyway, mostly dudes with some relative happiness saying, yeah, my wife or my partner and their, my children are all the way across the country and I'm here toiling away uh, and I miss them and all that sort of stuff and, and women too. So you got capitalism to me is the underlying yes. uh, issue here. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's fair to say. And um, the, there's there's a, a number of issues, but they, they, they tie into capitalism for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and a Canadian breed of it. Canadian breed of it. That's interesting. Because mm-hmm. we, here's the thing uh, there, Kate. I feel guilty because I live in Alberta, having been from, I'm from Ontario, and I found myself relating to the characters in your book on some level because we moved for more or less capitalistic, per, like reasons. Mm-hmm. Couldn't, couldn't afford to live in the real estate market in Ontario. Weren't getting jobs that we thought paid enough. Are, right. Am I? Are we? Are we villains? Are we terrible people for doing this? No, no. Everybody does what they need to do. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, uh, I left the oil sands, and I I went into I lived in Toronto, New York, different places, and I found different people with different judgments about the oil sands, which is fine. Everybody has their opinions, but as for for the workers, you know. They're they're not like some kind of faceless mob who doesn't give a shit about the environment and just went out like gobbling money. <laughs> People go where they need to go to support themselves, their families, whatever. The the you like you don't know people's choices for going yeah. Yeah. somewhere that that they they need to economically. And like no, everybody knows that in Canada, Ontario is the bad guy, so yeah ontario is not doing so well either yeah we were also (laughs) fleeing fleeing the kind of political climate but for here it didn't make no sense like it's a weird thing to do uh yeah yeah. and so you've lived uh in uh you you, according to your book you briefly lived in victoria right i did yeah so have have you lived uh so by my reckoning or my count uh you've lived in uh uh cape breton you've lived in in Various parts of Alberta. You lived in Victoria. Did you live in Montreal as well? No, never. Never lived in Montreal. Anywhere else in Canada? Yeah, I, I went to university in Sackville, New Brunswick. Oh, right, Mount Allison. Mm-hmm. That's a nice. I like that uh, town. Do you like that town? Nice town. Yeah, very nice town. <laughs> uh, and uh, right on the border to Nova Scotia, so it's very. <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't too far of a of a toss. 
yeah. to get me there. But uh, but it was it was interesting living in in a different province for a little while. I lived in Newfoundland for a little while when I met my husband. I lived there for eight months, so oh, nice. I don't know if that counts. It I does. Lived six months for somewhere to have residency, so I lived there for eight months. Yeah, and uh, yeah, different places that I have lived. Uh, very pan Canadian existence. I I only ask because I wonder if it gives you perspective or further perspective on your time in Alberta. Like, did, does living in did has living in different parts of Canada given you perspective on uh, where to live in this country? What seems I know where you are, and that obviously informs that might inform your answer. You've chosen to be close to uh, your home base, I guess, right? Your origin uh, place. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, like you, I, when I lived in Toronto, I was faced with the mounting pressures of cost of living there. And even since I keep up with sort of the the unkindness of the city's response to uh, unhoused people and things like that. You see, I think when you've lived in a lot of different places, what you're, what you're in tune to or what you, what you um, are interested in. And, and I, I've always been class conscious, I think. So that, that felt notable in Toronto where, where like it should have been a city that, that felt better than it was, if that makes sense. By the time I left, and I left there in like 2015. Yeah. So the, they weren't, uh, at the point where they are now, where there's like demonstrations to to uh, uh, that I that I see about like the like ten cities and stuff. Yeah, but it it felt like things were sort of tipping into like a crisis point for housing, and that felt very harsh for the city that should have been like the biggest and the most accessible in many ways because of that. And when I lived in Victoria, I had just come from. Fort McMurray, of course, and uh, and and I lived from the east coast, and, and Victoria was so beautiful, but it also was a very moneyed city. Yeah. So you couldn't help but notice how it dealt with issues of people uh, on the street with like addiction problems and stuff, which I, I put a little bit in the book because it's so high contrast. It's it's for a lot of people outside of the oil industry and everything, it's very easy to to like condemn certain things. But, but then you look around and every city has got its own issues with various cruelties, right? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, I didn't really have like a grander point in the book because cause these issues are so gigantic. Like how could I how could I ever sum it up? But I, I think being raised on the East Coast and moving into like the mainland <laughs> and, and, uh, and all of that has, has always made me sort of uh, class aware. There's a striking scene in Ducks where a group of younger I think they're younger uh, workers at Fort Mac. I think they're in Fort Mac. You're sorry, just to I don't know this area well enough myself. Most of the action is based in Fort McMurray. Is that correct? Mostly, yes. You're kind of moving, yeah, in and around in and around Fort McMurray. I I I work for different companies. Yeah, you're moving around into yeah. different camps and stuff like that. But in the region mm-hmm. of Fort Mac, right? Yes. And and just before I get to my point, well, how would you characterize Fort McMurray generally? Um, at the time that I was there, because I can't speak for it now, of course, and that's an important yeah. that's an important distinction to make because some people read the book and say, I'm sure they will say, well, this isn't what it's like, and I don't know what it's like right now. I'm writing about 2005 to 2008. Fair enough. But when I was there, it was booming. It was absolutely booming. Yeah. And like in 2008, oil hit the highest price it ever hit, nearly 150 dollars a barrel. And to give you uh, like a uh, an opposite of that, during the pandemic, it was worth less than zero. Right. So, it, you know, it seemed like the sky was the limit and people were just pouring in and they couldn't build fast enough. And renting a room cost, like for the first few months there, I made no money because cause we, it cost so much to rent a place. So I was making more money than I had ever made in my life, but I was also spending it all on my cost of living. Yeah. And that's why the jobs in the camps were so sought after because you didn't have to pay rent. Yes. And you didn't have to, you didn't have to pay for food. And both of those things were like expensive so it was just booming and it comes with all of the things that a boom town has yep. uh, good and bad, you know, the promise and, and young families, lots of young families coming in. You you said mostly men, but lots of women yeah. were there. Yeah. They might not have worked where I worked, but they were there and they lived in the town a lot of them and, uh, and they had young children. You know, this was a place for, for hopeful people to come. Lots of immigrants. Yeah. Lots of immigrants coming to Fort McMurray. 
And, uh, and so like far more multicultural than, uh, my book is able to show because my book, it's, it's very much around me and my, my circle, uh, that I'm with, which was very small and white. And because everybody was getting jobs through people that they knew and stuff like that. And so I was like mostly being around the same sort of groups of, of people from out East. And so it sort of gives the appearance of like a, like a sort of a middle-aged white world almost. But it, it wasn't in the town itself very multicultural. I appreciate um, the dis- I appreciate that distinction, and I didn't mean. I, yeah, I'm focused on the book and the sites because there are yeah. uh, there are it is pretty monoculture-y, totally. if you will. I mean, there are moments where you I can think of two people of color. One of yeah. whom is uh, someone who seems to be identifying as a, a, a female. Uh, worker, like a, a yep. well, no, not a welder, but a, she, she does something where you're surprised that that's the work she does. I can't remember what it is. Welding. Some, yeah. It is yeah, welding. Okay. Sorry. I don't have any notes. Yeah, I'm just riffing so, off the yeah, top of my head. No, and that's then, okay. She's a welder. And then there's a, a fellow uh, who might be of Middle Eastern descent, maybe. Uh, or, yes. Yeah. 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 In the office. Yeah. And he's a bit odd. But uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah. He's an odd duck. Yeah. So you got, yeah. So it, I, all I'm saying is I'm drawing my impression from your book. Primarily. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and as much as I would have liked to add, you know, more characters or something that you would like you would have known, then it would have been fiction too, right? Yeah, I would have been yeah. making that up. So I couldn't and but it's a regret as far as um uh as far as telling telling like something that is, you know, representative. But I have to say from the start, this is just this is my experience. There. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I really hope that other people that other people put out uh, more books about it because there there aren't if there's an interest in it and I think there is there aren't there isn't enough yeah and anyway so so like I say in the town it was booming all the stuff going on both good and bad you know when you have like an influx of like young a lot of young transient workers they're unmoored from society they are uh, they're making maybe lots of money they're 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 foolish. And, and, and like they, there's lots of, uh, availability of things like drugs and, and alcohol, other vices and stuff. So, so of course it, you get all these, you, the, the names that you get with, with these kinds of towns, you know, like the, the kind of wild west stuff. And you have, you have a clash between, I think, the, the wildness and, uh, and the people trying to make it a great place to live. Yeah, and and one of the clashes that I was uh, trying to get to there is there's a scene in the in the action of the story uh, where there's a, a group of younger I think they're all younger people uh, and they're talking about what they're going to do with their money and they're going to buy yeah. this thing and they're going to buy this motorbike or whatever it is I think they're all talking about it and then one of the older toys toys yeah boys toys but then one mm-hmm. of the, they get admonished by one of the older guys. It's like, uh, what do you do? And I think they're all from away. So they're none of them are they're from, all from Newfoundland. They're all from Newfoundland. And I think this fella who admonishes them, as I recall, might actually be a local. And he just loses. His- no, he's he's from Newfoundland. Oh, he's also from Newfoundland. That's even better then. Yeah. So he uh, yeah. he's admonishing them. And I think some measure of capitalism by saying, what are you talking about? What are you doing? You know, throw all your money away. Like it's one of the few scenes because I feel like your—I almost want to say your character, Kate. You in the story, mm-hmm. I think, are just constantly going through this existential angst of well, what the hell? What am I doing here? What are we doing? What are we all doing as a society? That's one of the few mo- a little bit few moments I can think of where someone else in the story is like, "Don't you know what we're doing here? Why we're doing this? Yeah. Why we all moved here?" I found that to be very striking, and I feel like that's a that's a common thread to me in this book. Is like, why are we doing these things in terms of capitalism and consumption? Is that a fair point to raise? Do you think that's part of what you're? It's getting fair. To? Yeah. It's fair, and and to me, a lot like that was some generational yeah. discord almost. But like, you had older older generations of say fishermen who who lost everything during the cod moratorium in Newfoundland. And they were coming there after making nothing all their lives. And and maybe they were making good money now, but they were cautious about the money that they were making because they knew what it was like to have everything taken out from under your feet. Yes. And they were working side by side with these younger guys who came out there and they were making six figures 
the moment they turn 19. Yes. And like somebody that young who also grew up with, you know, probably fairly little making that kind of money, no one has any sense about it. Of course, they, they, it seemed like at the time that, that this was going to keep on going and going and like, why not spend my money on this stuff? And people would just spend, 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 spend. Yeah. And they didn't have like the, the kind of longer view of life yet. They were just young guys spending money because they never knew any different than making as much as that coming out there. Where these older generations, like they had, they had lived through making nothing and losing everything. Yeah. And so they'd watch them and be like, what are you doing? Like, what are you, what are you doing? Spending like buying like a skidoo and a four wheeler and, and like another brand new truck and your gigantic house and all this stuff. And it's not like, you know, there was constant fights about it. It's just that every now and then you would see a little bit of, of that kind of uh, divide in thinking. And as somebody who was making no money yeah. <laughs> compared to any of them, because yeah. <laughs> mechanics made way more money than I did, and uh, and I was giving all my money to the government, so I, uh, I would just sort of uh, be very observant of these things because uh, I, no, I had no horse in either race. Right. Yeah. And, and so I, I can appreciate that in pondering this and reflecting it in your work, uh, it seems to me that you're making some sort of critique of this kind of behavior, but I also, uh, of these, of this sort of level of consumption and by, by including the scene that I was alluding to of an elder, if you will, saying, what are you kids doing? Like, think about this and you being like yeah look at me in this you're in the scene as i recall is that the scene where yeah the panel is you just looking over the newspaper at this action is that that one i can't recall no that's is that later one. okay i feel like there's another yeah. explosive scene and you're just like whoa there is that's when that's when uh that's when everybody's taking a shit on alberta these guys working from out east because they were always not always but like quite a few of them would be like you know i hate this dump and like oh that's the oh sucks. yeah right 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 and all this stuff and you know you'd be talking shit about like about being in alberta and always you know missing home and blah 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 but there was a lot of guys out there from alberta and they were hearing it all the time and they were like shut the hell up like that's this right. is my home right you came here like right. you come here and all you do is whine about how much you miss the east coast but you don't mind making the money do you like you if you don't like it like leave and and they would just be annoyed with that, with that kind of like boohoo talk. Yes. <laughs> from, yeah. I think I've, I think I've, Maritimers. I think I've conflated the two scenes. Yeah. I see where, yeah. where I've gone wrong. Yeah. I apologize. So you're, you're okay. obviously reflecting these, this dialogue and maybe asking readers to maybe ponder that, uh, that dynamic. Well, those, yeah, those dynamics. yeah I'm, I'm choosing to put him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm choosing him, but I'm not. I'm like, if it seems like I'm taking one side over the other, it's not really because I was the younger generation. I just wasn't making any money. But I, uh, I feel like there was a lot of people who, who had, uh, when like the bottom fell out of oil and, uh, um, like, like things busted and jobs were lost or Fort McMurray went on fire, there were different people who were like, this is hubris for your, you know. Yes. Uh, shot, shot in Freud, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, you know, people were losing their houses and, and it happened over here too. Uh, at that point you lose your job and you can't make the payments on your truck anymore and all this stuff. And, and, and you can be like, you did this to yourself and, and, you know, it's true, but also like they were just young guys. They didn't have, when you grow up without money and then you start making it and you don't know how to manage it, like you just don't know. It's not like someone comes and like knocks sense into your head maybe that old guy did in the in but it didn't seem like he was getting through to them did it so no i th uh, i think that within the action of the book there are little sort of small indictments of this kind of behavior but where i'm coming from mm -hmm. is trying to figure out how you feel you're conveying the complicity of the actual oh, industry yeah. in yeah. In all of you being in this circumstance in the first place and the environmental impacts, there are scenes where various well, women well, we are. are talking about these bizarre, ra yourself included, rashes on their backs, you know, uh, being in this mm -hmm. environmental situation, this, this situation where ecological damage is being uh, wrought 
but you're all kind of yeah. all of us are complicit in it. Would you say that's at least, if not a subtextual thread, part of what you're getting? No, to? it is. It is, and yeah. we are. But like, you also have to. Like coming from Cape Breton, a lot of people I feel don't recall this, but the largest toxic waste site in North America was in Cape Breton until very recently. Right. It was the city tar ponds. And that was not off on the side or anywhere. It was like right in downtown Sydney. And it was the runoff from Sydney Steel, which was the bigger, biggest, one of the biggest employers in town, right? And when everything, when Sydney Steel closed, like a bunch of people lost their jobs and their livelihood and everything like that. And, uh, and so people getting cancer. And like it's a, it was like a, a crazy boondoggle to clean it up, to try and clean it up and, and a political like garbage dumpster fire to do it. And, and people were getting sick and, uh, and you're growing up with like on an island with the largest toxic waste site. And, uh, and you're like, well, this is how businesses run. And you go somewhere and, and like, and it's, toxic and shitty and you're not surprised you know it's not like my 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 hometown is very nice and and pretty and everything like that but it's not like i i left like a bucolic field of sheep and and went to the you know with like the gulls flying over the boats and then and then went to like the oil sands where i was just like oh we're, we're destroying the environment but i don't care i grew up on an island where workers were treated like shit <laughs> and by by people running an industry like stealing coal and everything that was never really meant to uh to thrive by like not by it was never really running good faith by anybody yeah and it didn't matter when it all shut down like in the like the larger scheme of things like when you read about the closure of like Cape Breton Industries, it's always like summed up being like, well, it was a big waste of money, so good riddance. Yeah. Uh, never minding that like people's families and stuff were torn apart by everything, and that uh, that it was like if you were in Sydney around that time or on the island at all, like it was dire. Yeah. It was a very bad place to be. And meanwhile, like you're making this gigantic toxic site here on, on Cape Breton and everything, and I uh, and you're well aware of like the cost of running these businesses. And I, I grew up with like. Westray happened not like only a couple hours from where I grew up, where um, workers went into the ground knowing that it could blow up um, because of the coal dust that was lying around. And you have quotes from them being like, I just hope it doesn't happen on my shift. Right. Because it's going to explode. And nobody ever went to jail for it. And nobody. Like the owner of the or the company, Clifford Frame, he never even showed up to testify at the trial because right. he was like, this is pointless. <laughs> and that's what we're used to. And what coal mining is not like environmentally friendly. It's not, you know, you're digging a big ass hole in the ground and uh, it's not like it's not known for its like care for the environment. So we're over here. We're living with this like duality of uh, of like the tourist image of 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 like a people thrown back to a simpler time. Right. <laughs> you know, back on their farms and their fishing boats and stuff. And, uh, and these like sort of like dirty industrial working people and conditions and the going down the road guys. If you remember that movie by Don Shabib, if I have the name right. Yeah. And you bring all that baggage with you to a place like forming Murray. And so you already know the companies can do whatever they want because they're not going to go to jail and they're going to treat you like garbage and no one gives a shit. Yeah. And what they do is fuck up the land around them and, you know, you are lucky to have a job. So it takes a while. It took me a while to come around to my complicitness in it for sure. Yeah. Because, of course, I chose to go there. Everybody was going and I chose to go right. there. And it's not like I was like some helpless like stooge or, or something. But I was moved by forces like economic, regional, uh, migration, uh, different different things. And by the way that we treat workers and the land here already before even going to open. Yeah. 
And that's a really long sort of convoluted answer. For me. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't at all. I, there's a lot to say about it and it's hard to get at all of it. I mean, on an artistic level, if I recall correctly, there are at least, uh, at least four locations that I can think of. Well, maybe there's more. There's Cape Breton. There's the Fort McMurray area. You mm. uh, have a little uh, uh, break in Victoria, BC, and I think mm-hmm. eventually, eventually end up in. There's a scene at, at least in Halifax. Is that about right? Am I missing anywhere? Yeah, no, yeah, that's it. So artistically, do if you ponder this, did you kind of try to uh, draw these places distinctively from one another, like in terms of, you know, in, in my um, uh, admittedly uh, rudimentary knowledge of, I've been reading comic books a long time. And I know that uh, colors and shading and uh, all those sorts of things uh, will contribute to mood and and whatnot in terms of what the author or the illustrator uh, are trying to convey. Were you conscious of making sure that these locations and um, and the scenarios were um, presented in particular ways? Uh, maybe not in the way you're thinking. I think I just drew what I drew. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you might say this. I, I think you have. Do you feel like you? Because I was reading. A, here, I have this too. I was reading uh, last night. I was uh, rereading uh, Hark a Vagrant, which I'm holding up to Katie for those of. Oh. I was looking at that, and you seem to have a. I feel like you uh, treat your uh, your illustration uh, and your interest in uh, comics and all these sorts of things. I, I feel like you treat your craft with a little bit of. Uh, I don't know if it's bemusement. Like you can't believe you're doing it. Sometimes, or oh, yeah. I'm not going to take this yeah, that se- sure. I can't take this that seriously. Like Harker Vagrant, I was laughing out loud at uh, at the Thanks. at the book uh, yesterday, and I uh, I didn't do that. At- There's a couple of moments in Tux, but I mostly a was moments. a couple of moments. But I was mostly like, oh, this is very heavy. Anyway, where I was coming from is, it seems to me that I'm maybe being a little hoity-toity about uh, art and your motivations. You're saying you didn't think about it too much. No, when I was drawing it, it was really like I'm just I went I drew it through two pregnancies and I'm having a baby yeah. and having the babies around, and uh, it was very much like oh I got to get this done yeah <laughs> I got to get this done okay so it wasn't like but not to say that I didn't not to say that I didn't think about what I drew but I I wasn't like now that we're in Victoria let's mute the palette or something it, it, things look different because they're in different places like everything in everything in the Fort McMurray pages like they're they're heavy industrial looking places they they look markedly different than uh a scene where i'm bicycling around victoria yeah they seem more drab Um, and i mean if i think on some of the victoria panels they are pretty uh uh, dense there's a lot of like architecture and uh it's not like they're wide open there is a heaviness to the drab uh, the drabness of the fort max stuff comes across quite a bit um is where i'm coming from but that's just what what it was Mm. right yeah, well, I worked on uh, two of those camps were just mines that were under construction, right. so they weren't even. They were just like, like tra- you're living in trailers out in the woods while like these like mine sites are being constructed around you and going or or half operating or whatever. And yeah, and so like the earth around is all dug up, and uh, and there's no grass, and there's no like the trees are sort of like in the distance. And uh, they're thin. Uh, like uh, I read a thing from some anecdotes from Cree elders saying that like the the trees look sicker than they used yeah. to. Things like that. And I don't know if you. I feel like you could tell that with some of them. Yeah. And you, there was a sense of of what was going on in the and like environmentally around it, and and it just like. Just a lot of you know dirt. It's the mines. Yeah, no, and and, I, and that comes across. I, I didn't mean to draw too fine a line. No yeah. pun intended. Oh no, that's no, okay. no pun intended. I I I will tell you that uh, usually when I talk to like a musician or a comedian, I feel like I know their uh, realm a bit, and I can sort of just like. <laughs> but yours is it's so foreign to me on one hand that someone would be like, I'm going to tell a chunk of my life story in a 430 page graphic novel. I don't no. talk to many people who do that. So forgive me if my no. co- my questions are a little pedestrian or something. Um, no, don't worry about it. And you know what? I'm going to be really like in my head tonight about answering that question about economic stuff on the East Coast because it's so complicated. Yeah, and that's fine. We're not experts. We're just people 
trying to process mm-hmm. stuff that's going on. Uh, earlier, we were talking about uh, uh, the why now questions you might be getting about ducks mm. coming out. And I wonder yeah. if you can ponder this. So uh, a good chunk of the book, to me, seems to be about uh, loneliness, isolation, forced exile, rampant misogyny, horrible people on some level. I feel like in a, we're still in, I was going to say coming out of, we're still in a pandemic. I think yeah. a lot of that stuff in our lives, those those uh, modes, those feelings, those horrific aspects of human nature, lack of decorum and morality, some of that has been heightened uh, in the last couple of years. I'm not saying all of it has. I don't want to be too, too negative. But I do think mm-hmm. a lot of the themes in your book are weirdly uh, relevant to a period of time that we're either, I think, still going through feeling like I, A, what are we doing right now? Uh, why do we do the things we do? But also people feeling like they can't always connect with others right now. Uh, and that there, mm-hmm. certainly we had some lockdown periods, right? Where we all felt isolated. Um, does that, do you, does what I'm saying resonate with you in terms of why the book feels particularly relevant to the time we're in? Yeah, I guess that makes sense. It's it's funny because, you know, I started it before the pandemic and everything. So no, I know. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Everybody's yeah. going to take out different things. And uh, and like when I was first starting to draw it is when like Me Too was happening. And and so we were like, oh, maybe this will be like wrapped up in that. But now that's over. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's going to be it's going to be different for everybody. But I think that issues of social isolation and loneliness and things like that and how we behave towards each other are always going to be relevant. Yeah. Uh, it's just that they were, they're extremely heightened over there because of the remove from society and, yes. uh, and the imbalance that existed in the camps and does exist in camps. And so it was, it was uh, a very in your face uh, sort of all the time, the, the effects of, of removal from society. And and loneliness. Yeah, you alluded to the fact that you think Me Too is over. Do you think that the story? Well, that's like the that's like the Twitter saying that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no. There is a there is a sense that that we aren't. Uh, yes, that some of these. Yeah, uh, that we blew it up somehow. <laughs> well, there's a sense that some of these very important social movements are just some weird viral thing that we can consume and dismiss. Even though they're like mm. super important, right? What I yeah. was coming, where I was coming from, though, is: Do you though feel like some of the issues that you are discussing in the context of two thousand five, two thousand eight in Ducks? Do you feel like consciousness about such issues, like the problems, I mean, mm-hmm. are more heightened now than they were at the time? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, yeah, because because we do talk about things like. Uh, mental health among like male workers and things like that, which we never talked about before. Yeah. Uh, like that, like you would never find anybody talking about how's everybody doing out there. Like it's not, I don't, I feel like it wouldn't be a question that would be entertained. And, and yet now there is a documentary on CBC gem called digging in the dirt about that very thing, which was from 2019. And so, you know, we are having these, more of these conversations and me too did like bring more women's stories out, especially like things that happen in a work environment or, or a place, not, not especially, but it did bring out those stories. It brought out lots of, of, of things that, that made it normal to, to talk about more normal than it had in the past. Although I got to say, there weren't that many working class women's stories in there, were there? that no. were passed around. So no. no, and and never made it that far. Strikingly, like a uh, and again, I'm I'm trying to be mindful of not ruining the book for anyone else. Mm-hmm. Strikingly, there is a me too thread yes, in this book among sure. among women uh talking about sexual harassment and sexual assault. And it's said it's framed to me in a sort of um sh- it shouldn't be shock it's not shocking to me anymore. I was going to say shockingly matter of factly just this any women who interact will have a story like this and i yeah and i uh, i only wrote down or i put in what 
was what happened. And to everyone's credit, I asked the different people in the story who had uh, something to that I was going to sort of dig into a little bit. I asked everyone and they, they said it was all right to put it in there. So I thought that was very generous. So it's really not just me. Although, you know, I, I put my story in there, but it's no good to think of things as like an isolated incident because there's never isolated incidents. No, there, there aren't. And, and that comes through in this book. And it's, uh, again, it's, um, obviously very tragic. Did doing this help you in any particular way in processing all of this shit? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> it's been many years of working on it. So I, I mean, yes, it did. I'm sure it did. Okay. I, again, I don't, it's a I gradual don't, process, right? It's an interesting thing in this context because I'm trying to be mindful of, of, of not prying. And yet this is a, based no, on what you're, but based on what you're saying in terms of checking in with figures who are depicted in this book, it's fair to say that yeah. you've tried to be as factual and truthful. This is a real story. All of this is as real as it possibly could be. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, we were people gave me permission to use their names, but we changed them. Hmm. But I, I got in touch with the people that I could get in touch with. Uh, I even got in touch with some of the people that I had never met before. Like there is somebody who, like I read a, I read a news article where somebody dies in a car crash. I had to call that person's brother, and I never knew this person. So oh, I got in right. touch with them yeah. because, you know, just be like, listen, I'm making this. It's a weird phone call to get. I'm making this book. I'm making this comic book. Do you mind? Not do you mind, but more like, you know, I, w- I want to let you know that I'm, I'm doing this. But I changed the name in there, too. Hmm. But uh, but then I had, you know, a conversation with this person's brother. And, and um, I don't know. I You're, you're right, making a story that's your story, but it's other people's, too. It's It's not... Nobody wants to be surprised by opening up a book and being like, wait, that's me. No, of course. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, you know, I, I put on my Facebook and stuff, you know, I'm working on this book and people are, are on my Facebook so they know that, that it's there. The, the ones that are. I didn't really have a lot of contacts for the people in the very beginning of the book mm. because we weren't all on social media. Yeah. So, yeah. So that the, the people that I could contact, I tried to. Speaking so on that note, you've heard from some people in terms of permission. Uh, I know those of us who create things uh, in the background and know they're going to be public uh, somewhere around mm-hmm. release day or the eve of release day. You get that little bit of trepidation juice flowing through your oh, I'm very nervous. flowing through your yes. Very Have nervous. you heard much from other people depicted in this book, or what are you? Uh, yeah, what are you concerned about? Because we should say a couple things. I will. I hope we haven't presented sure. this as a completely dour uh, story. Uh, this is really a story about communities developing under weird and strange circumstances as much as it is about the hardships uh, of isolation and loneliness and, and what drives people to take on such things uh, economically yeah. or otherwise. Almost nobody in interviews and stuff brings up the times when people were kind to me, which there are several through the book that made a big difference. That's what I was getting at. Um, I wanted to say that. Like, I do feel like there is a warmth that emanates from this book because you appreciate those, or the the way you depict them anyway. It seems like you do appreciate the community building mm -hmm. that was going on. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. I gave copies to, um, to, you remember the guy I went to Thanksgiving at the house? I gave copy to him. He's happy to get that. But I told him that he was going to be in it, and he and his wife. <laughs> so he, he was home for the summer. I gave him a copy. I gave a copy to the other one, the other fellow from Cape Breton who shows up at my tool crib, and then later on, at, like in an airport and other places. Yep. So he has a copy. I mailed one to, he, he's my old boss, Ryan, in the book. Mm-hmm. Oh, is he, I ma- I just, is he doing okay? Yes. Sorry, I don't want to ruin the action of the book, but Ryan Ryan kind of leaves us and we don't really know what's going on. He's all right. And that's intentional because uh, that always happened there. And it was, Hmm. you know, you'd be worried about somebody and uh, be like, this person's not okay. And then they would just be gone because they they lost their job or they quit or or whatever happened. And uh, because those communities are out there on the periphery, no one knows. Like, nobody knows 
they just go back to their home wherever yeah, that is. Yeah. And, and they don't come into work the next day and you're just like, uh, and they take their problems with them. So the oil companies, you know, they're like Pontius Pilate. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I wash my hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, wash my hands of this. Uh, no problems here, baby. All smooth, <laughs> smooth sailing over here. Uh, never mind all these workers that go home in like, you know, in, in really bad shape. But no, Ryan was very generous to let me. He's one of those people that I talked to yeah. about. I was like, can I, I need to put, I need to, but like, I, I would love to relate this because I think, uh, people need to understand the position that, that people like you were in. But you will find out when you buy the book and you. You read should it. buy the book, ducks. Uh, That's a, a thing. Uh, before we uh, before we wrap up here, I, no, but oh, go ahead. Uh, you were going to say something. Oh, I, I forget. No, I forget. Oh, oh, and I sent. I sent. I just sent some in the mail to. Uh, they're Mike and Brian in the book. Okay. I just sent them in the mail yesterday. So, um, so the trepidation you're feeling, and to and to Emily. Emily has one. Right. I'm trying to remember like the names that I gave to people. The- so I'm like, uh, <laughs> I have some copies now, and I'm mailing them out, and people are getting them. Don't worry. So unlike the trepidation you might get for the general public receiving it, your trepidation is more yeah. about the people in the book receiving it and wondering what they think. Well, you know, they're a, they're a pretty primary concern. That well, I'm mostly concerned that they don't find that it's like a, some kind of work of fiction or something mm-hmm. you know i want i want what's in there to ring true it's not their story and if they were to write a book of course it'd be totally different and they would choose different scenes yeah. but it's it's my book and as long as they feel like the the thing reads true then that's that makes me feel good about it but um so far so good and then uh to the wider audience you know it's the it's like the eve of publication pretty much uh, and uh and some people are getting it like pre-orders already yeah and uh I'm quite nervous. I don't really know what to expect. I don't know. Well, I'm sort of holding yeah. my breath. Yeah. Well, it is different for those of us who know. Here, I'm going to pull out another book. I'm going to pull out this book that I'm very familiar with because I used to read it to my children, oh, yeah. my daughter in particular, Princess and the Pony. Now, <laughs> I just want to say something real quick about the pony because the pony, those of us who know Harker Vagrant and know this uh, this book, The Princess and the Pony, know this pony. It's an odd, Let's. sorry, I don't mean to insult you, it's kind of an odd-looking pony. Um, it is. It's always been an odd-looking pony. There's a little Easter egg uh, for uh, those reading, uh, those who know uh, your your work, Kate. Right? The, we we right. we might actually get a little bit of a glimpse at the origin story of the pony if we're reading ducks. Is that? Can we leave it at that? Is that a fair thing to say? That's that's totally fair. That's where I first drew it. So so it's a remarkable. So we had to put that in I, the I like book. The, it's so random. Put it in the book. I, <laughs> I like the notion that this is a character, rather, you at this time in your life are going through this uh, financial and uh, socio-cultural ordeal, and yet you haven't uh, taken your eyes off the prize. Yeah. Uh, that the, the, the person you're going to become is, is the glimmer is there. So it's like a, it's not a prequel, but it's close. Uh, it is, for those of us who know you from who you are now, we get a little prequel of where did where did Kate come from, uh, and I assume this has got to be the most autobiographical thing uh, on some level that you've. Uh, is that is that a fair way of putting it? I would say yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm just making sure because I think there's autobiography in everyone's expression. Yeah, I'm sure there's autobiography in the Princess and the Pony somehow a little bit. I don't have any horses, but yeah. Yeah, but you you like farts? Sure. Who doesn't? <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> Kate, uh, what's next for you? Uh, and uh, Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, this is a, such a huge project. Do you have future plans? I am working on a couple things. I do have another picture book contract, and uh, I am working on like uh, some drafts of uh, fiction comics, but they still are very regional uh, over here. So, so if you read Ducks, you'll be like, I want more... Sad Cape Breton things. I'll be like, coming right up, baby. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Perfect. What a joy that will be. No, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll put some jokes in there. <laughs> okay. Good. And is that that's your main uh, that's your main work at the moment? Uh, yes, and I have a three year old and a one year old, and the one year old is not able to get into daycare for another few months. So we are burning the candle at both ends, pretty yeah. much. 
So. Well, I, I wish you the best of luck with all of those things. And I know Thanks. what that can be like <laughs> a little bit as a, a proud owner of an 11 year old and a seven year old. Uh, oh boy. I, I, I know what you're kind of going through. Uh, if people want to learn more about you, uh, on the internet or social media and about ducks, do you know where you'd like to send people? Well, I mean, I have a Twitter account, but uh, Twitter's kind of like a garbage can these days, isn't it? So no, it's uh, I, I, I don't I don't mind the Twitter. I still find some amusement there. I do too, but then like some days you go on and you're like, Ugh, no, I can't but that's true of all social I, media. I think that's I true suppose, of all of them. Yeah, I suppose. Well, then my Twitter is b e a t o n n a, and that's your main thing. Do you get a website and stuff? No, I don't. <laughs> that's bonkers. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, the, the book, the book, if I take a look here, is it's out on Drawn and Quarterly, right? Yes, and, and you and can people, find, they have a website, so. Yeah, where the heck is it? I can't find the website hey, thing. Just Google Drawn and Quarterly. Just and Google Drawn and Quarterly. They very, very thoughtfully did not include uh, a horrible looking website domain and any of the art of the book. That's perfect. That's, on the on the in the jacket or anything that's amazing you don't see that anymore so okay there you go drawn in quarterly they, they assume people can google and so do i <laughs> i know i just like to ask because some people say th- interesting things at the end of like i hate mm-hmm. such and such platform but i love this one and i hate oh, my yeah. website i don't even i lost the password to my website i hate websites i hear all sorts of things here and i find it interesting oh yeah i just shit at websites making and everything so yeah. if I and like uh I have a Patreon. Oh there you so go. What's that? I guess that? that's what? kinda like a website. Yeah. It's what's just your... uh it's it's Kate Beaton like making comics on Patreon. Oh man, um, I, I, people should support so. that. That sounds good. Oh sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I'm sorry you for You know what this. the funny thing is? I'm I'm not very good at, at like this like comics as a career. Like if I didn't have an agent, I would be living in a barrel. Because no. I'm, this is, I'm shit at this. <laughs> no, you did fine. And I'll hyperlink all the things uh, when okay. I send things out so people know where to go. All right. The book is okay. Ducks, Two Years in the Oil Sands uh, by the wonderful Kate Beaton. Kate, this was such a, a thrill for me to have you on the show. Thank you for making time for me. I hope you enjoyed yourself in some small way. And I wish you the best of luck in the future. In some small way, I think I did. So. Oh, my God. That's it? Um, That's all I got? <laughs> That's all you sass for. <laughs> so, uh, no, I, I very, I very much enjoy talking to you. Thank you, thank you for having me. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Oh, very special thanks again to Kate Beaton for appearing on this, the 716th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One podcast network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you've heard about and you're looking for it, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on uh, Facebook or follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative, or you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Vishkana. Also, visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast running. Now, $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content, uh, audio stuff, uh, interviews I've done with other people outside of this show in my past, and sometimes in my present when they say, oh, we don't want to be on a podcast. We're too famous for that. We just want you to write an article. And I say, oh, fine. But then I take the recordings 
and I put them up on my Patreon, and ha <laughs> ha now I've got extra content. Why do I sound so nefarious? I don't know, it's Halloween coming up, I got evil, I'm sorry. Anyway, I do that, and I also put up episodes of the show early now on the Patreon, and oh, uh, if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, just message me on the Patreon and I'll get you one. If, if I have any left, I still have some left. And uh, yeah, $6 or more a month gets you all that cool stuff. Uh, anything less than that is really greatly appreciated too. You can also go up and down if you come into some dough and you're like, I want to give Visha $300 a month or ah, things are a little lean. I have to go from six to three or four, whatever. That's the beauty of the thing. I just appreciate the support. It makes it feel like I'm not just doing this work for no reason beyond the fact that I get a lot of uh, good feelings from doing it and contributing to the culture and my society. What? I don't know why I'm telling you all my thoughts and feelings. Patreon.com slash creative control for more info about how to do uh, uh, that stuff I just said, which is supporting me and the show. Thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music in Alberta. You can learn more about them at blackbird.ca. also want to thank uh, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, who are each respectively located in Guelph, Ontario, and also Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for the show. Always a great love to my friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music of his on the show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you so much for listening to this episode with uh, Katie Beaton. I hope you enjoyed our chat. It was really a, a nice thrill and enjoyable uh, for me to get to speak to Kate and have her on the show. And this book, uh, Ducks, all her work's remarkable. Ducks is really something else, so I hope you are intrigued enough to track it down. Uh, links in the podcast stuff there. So thank you for supporting Kate and for supporting me and this show and telling your friends about it by subscribing to the show or following the show. And I will talk to you very soon. Thanks again. Bye for now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.